What a lot of people don't know is how I started. Um, and I'm, I'm not talking about my story about my, my drug use and everything like that. I'm talking about um, how I started helping, how I started mentoring. And it essentially started with a mother contacting me and asking if I could work with her nine-year-old son who she had walked into the bathroom and he was trying to hang himself. And uh, I said yes, because I had been working with this kid at my little kids camps and stuff like that. And I really dug this kid. Um, he's in college now. And I, I'm saying that because just recently in my life, I've had a few experiences where it's been long enough of me doing this work that I've started to experience getting contacted by the, these boys and girls that I've worked with. Some are parents and married. Um, uh, some are in college. Um, some are, uh, you know, have kids and own their own homes. And yeah, you know, I do go to funerals. I do go to um, uh, uh, situations where I'm, I'm helping counsel a family through the loss of someone I used to work with and they're still struggling. They didn't make it out. And, and that's the question is that, that, that parents are constantly asking is, how do you make it out? And when I see my, what my kid is doing, how are they going to get from there to here? How are they going to do what they're doing now and still have a successful life. And it's hard to say to a parent that is completely panicked, that's completely freaking out. There's a reason why mother nature has not bred addicts out of the gene pool. There's a reason. And I know you can't see it now, but the bottom line is if we recover and it's a big, if, if we recover, addicts do amazing things. Addicts do incredible things. Addicts can touch the lives of a lot of people. Because I've been doing this work, everything from mentorship to running a business so long, um, I get contacted by, by the people, the kids who are now young adults whose lives, whose lives I've touched. And it's extremely rewarding. And in talking to a gentleman who wants to start a facility like what we have at Fire Mountain and essentially trying to talk them out of it because this is hard work. And, and the goal is if, we, if you can't talk them out of it, then they're, then they're good for this business. They're ready to get in and face what you got to face to run a facility where people come to you for help. The subject of mentorship has been brought up. And that's how I started. I started driving around Boulder, Colorado on Friday nights, picking up teens who didn't want to go party, but rather they wanted to go to a meeting. And I took them to meetings. That's how all of this started. I started by answering the call, can you help? And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. So I just said yes and did whatever it took to help. And in the past few years, I've had a couple contacts with this man, Nate Wilson. And that's exactly what he's doing is he's just saying yes. And you've got to hear his story because it's incredible how he got from there to here or from here to there. If you're a parent who's watching your kid going through it right now, how do I get my kid from here to there? They're at A, I want them at Z. How do you do B through Y? You find someone who's done it. Nate, someone who's done it. We're going to talk to Nate today about his story and about the work he's doing. Welcome to my show, Beyond Risk and Back. 
honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I wanna give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate you having me on the show. Nate, it's so good to, to, to just a little, I got to hear your story and knowing that, uh, that you're out there, that you're touching the lives of these kids and that you got, you got a mission to move forward. And I want to cover all of that. So thank you for being here. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. I love doing these podcasts. So good. Good, good. So let's let's start. Let's go back and let's have parents understand what happened to you, where you came from, and why you're doing this. Yes. Yeah, so I'll start with uh, my hometown. I was born in Woodland Park, which is about 30 minutes outside of the Springs, west of the Springs. Um, grew up in this town. I work with kids in this town now. Um, I have a passion for helping this town uh, because of what I what I went through when I was younger. Um, it's a real small town. I think one of the biggest complaints. I always heard growing up and still here today is there's not a lot to do in this town. So for me, when I was a kid, how we reacted to that was we did a lot of partying out in the woods and um, there's a lot of places to camp. So we'd go drinking and smoking weed and camping out in the woods. Um, and that was kind of how I grew up. And when I was 16, I had a real good friend who was car surfing on top of a car and she fell off, hit her head and she passed away because uh, they were drinking and driving and, and doing the car surfing. So that kind of left a hole in our class. And um, after that happened, I know things went a little more towards the extreme. Uh, drinking turned into cocaine. Cocaine turned into crystal meth. And I got, you know, started with smoking and snort, snorting crystal meth and then turned into injecting crystal meth daily. Um, and after that, I went to rehab when I was about 17 years old, went to uh, Glenwood Springs, place called YRC, real great facility, um, got a lot of good education, but that wasn't the end for me. I got out and I was smoking weed the first night out, uh, injected meth again within two weeks, um, went back in the same old lifestyle. And so going back in that same old lifestyle, um, had another friend who hung himself when I was 18 years old. And then 10 days after that, had another friend that I'd known since fourth grade who died in a drinking and driving accident. And then three months after that, I had another friend I'd known since kindergarten who shot himself in the head. And in a small town setting, that just hits the community really hard. It just, uh, 
death became a part of our environment. It's, it's how we came up, like just knowing that it could be you next or asking yourself, who, who's it going to be next? You know, is it going to be my best friend here? Or my other best friend. So, uh, you know, I went on for years. I, I had this drug addiction to deal with, and now I had all this loss to deal with and all this grieving. So I didn't handle that very well. And uh, I started doing more drugs. I know at one point I'd stayed awake for about two weeks on meth, uh, really malnourished. I quit eating, quit sleeping, quit trying to function. Uh, no job, just out stealing and robbing and I mean, doing whatever I could to to support my habit. And looking back, it was turning into a kind of a suicide mission um, just because it was too much for me to handle. I didn't know how to deal with any of it. So I went and do a real bad psychosis because meth is kind of a hard drug to overdose on. You can do it, but it takes a lot of meth. So I basically overdosed my brain instead and went into a really bad psychosis. Uh, I pretty much lived as a schizophrenic for two years. Um, and even when I would quit using meth, the psychosis prevailed. And I think that was the hardest part was, you know, I would stay clean for a week or two and still be insane. And that was, that was really, uh, really devastating. It made it feel like my efforts were just, there was, it made it feel like there was no point, you know? So went like that for a couple of years. Um, I turned to heroin because heroin didn't affect my psychosis as much. It was kind of soothing actually. It would medicate my psychosis and kind of bring it down a little bit. And by that point, I was in a lot of legal trouble. Uh, before it was said and done, I had two felonies and two DUIs. And I remember getting pulled over for my second DUI. I'd been off of heroin for a couple of days and I was having some withdrawal symptoms. So I was taking a lot of pills. I was doing Xanax and I was drinking too. Um, I took two Xanax pills and had maybe four beers, um, which was normally pretty mellow for me. And I didn't count on the Xanax pills kicking in until I got home, but they kicked in while I was on the road and I was driving. So I'm swerving all over. I get pulled over. When I'm pulled over, I can barely step out of the car. Um, I get arrested real quick, back of the cop car. Uh, ended up urinating in the back of the cop car. I uh, just pulled down my pants and urinated and um, went to a holding cell for a couple hours and I was causing a ruckus in there. I was throwing toilet paper at the cameras and banging on the door asking for a blanket and just real irate, which is really out of character for me because I'm a pretty calm person. Um, then I went to county jail and tried hanging myself with a telephone cord in the holding cell because I figured I was either headed to prison or I was just sick of living that way. I didn't, there was no the way I saw it, there was no point in continuing like this. There's, I was living a very unpurposeful life, I guess you could say. So I uh, woke up the next morning, real hazy. Um, I got bailed out of jail the night before Christmas, Christmas Eve, and that was in 2008. And uh, I think, you know, I messed around with meth a couple times. I was kind of dodging UAs because I was still on UAs. And then the last week, uh, right before I was sentenced to go back to jail, was that was my 21st birthday. So I had to go to court uh, on a Monday on my 21st birthday. And I remember talking to the judge and the judge says, Nate, you are not to go drink tonight. You didn't do that well last time. And I said, yes, judge, nodded my head. He said, you gotta turn yourself in on Friday. So it was a recipe for disaster. Um, I drank for, two and a half days or so. And then I finished that week doing more heroin than I had ever done before. 
did my last shot of heroin about 20 minutes before I turned myself into jail. Was nodding off in the booking, uh, drooling on myself, just real, real pathetic. Went into jail and uh, I did, I only did 20 days, luckily. I was able to get a really good plea bargain. Um, and after that 20 days was up, I left jail and I have, I have no idea what happened. I, I flipped a switch, something changed. And I did everything my probation officer wanted me to do. I got a job. I ended up working three jobs for a while. I was doing about five hours of community service a day. Um, I mean, some days were like 15 hours long. And I just, I wasn't phased by that. I was willing to do it. And like I said, this was kind of out of character for how I'd been the past couple of years. So I, a switch just flipped and I can't really describe what happened, but I was just ready. So I ended up getting clean off of the drugs. I was still drinking frequently, um, dodging UAs and stuff. And that continued for about another six to seven years. Um, and I was just kind of a functioning alcoholic. I could control it somewhat. I would just drink on the weekends sometimes, but I still, I wouldn't perform my best at work. And I really underrated how much it was affecting me and my work ethic and my performance. So I ended up getting laid off uh, from a sheet metal job, started working in a bar, and uh, I, had to learn, I had to learn one more lesson. I got pulled over for what would have been my third DUI. And uh, this was a point where I wasn't doing any drugs, but the crowd I was hanging out with was just as bad as when I was doing drugs. It was a lot of bikers, a lot of gangs, um, going to the dive bars, hanging out with some pretty rough people. Um, and that third DUI ended up getting dropped because the cop was out of his jurisdiction. And I had a choice then, and it was either I could celebrate that and go drink some more, or I could change again. And so I made the choice to change. And I finished doing school for personal training because uh, I was real passionate about going to the gym still. Um, and that's, that's when everything changed for me is when I ceased drinking and finally quit all the substances. And so recovery for me was, was a bumpy path. It wasn't, uh, I mean, obviously all the stuff I went through when I was on drugs was traumatizing, but then after I quit drugs, I still, I was still drinking. I still had a different phase and it was, uh, I wasn't completely toxic in that phase, but it was just damage control, I guess you could say. You know, you're, this is incredible because the first question that comes up for me, you know, before we start talking about what you were doing then and what you're doing now, what you were doing there and what you're doing here, how on earth did you survive? Like you, you look at some of these old rock stars who are just, they just continually blow their minds out and blow their minds out. And, and there, how with that, with that much heroin, with that much meth, with the drinking and the weed on top of that, how did you survive? You know, I almost didn't survive. Um, it was going to, it, I mean, it depends on what drug you're on. You know, like meth kills the mind. I feel like that's a, that's a mind drug. That'll kill your imagination. It, it takes a part of you. It takes a part of your soul. And so I was killing that part of myself when I did meth. And I feel like a part of me did, I did lose a, a piece of myself when I was on meth. Um, and that's, I'm going to spend a lot of my life trying to recover from that. You still, I mean, I, I know the effects of meth on the brain. And one of the things that uh, science is showing is that it burns out 
um, the neurotransmitters and the receptors. Um, and that depression becomes a consistent battle after that. And it's unlike heroin where, you know, it, it copies the dopamine and your brain can be taught how to reproduce dopamine after that. Meth destroys it. And that's where the not even once concept comes in. Do you yeah. still battle, suffer from depression? Depression, not so much. And that took a lot of years. And I think that's why I drank for a lot of years because that initial part of my recovery was I had no happy cells left. I didn't have any feeling. I remember, uh, so the word anhedonia comes to mind. I had, everything was gray. I had no pleasure out of anything. I really had no personality. I feel like I got raped of my personality, like who I was, my soul, you know? And so that's why I drank for a lot of years. Um, my depression today, it's really, it's taken a lot of years to master this, but I don't, I get sad, but I would never, I would never say that I get depressed. And that's because I've spent a lot of time working on the mind over body concept and it's perspective. It's all perspective. There are times where I do feel the anhedonia and there's times where I can see, I can see people having a really good time joking around, especially in social settings. Sometimes I get a little awkward in social settings, um, probably a symptom of the psychosis too. But, uh, you know, I can see people having a good time and sometimes I, I know I can tell I'm like, they're feeling something that I don't feel anymore. But then again, it's all about perspective. It's not, I don't have to look at that negatively anymore. I can just look at it as, you know what? I've been through so much that that's okay. I am, I'm a little bit hardened in some areas. But I don't you know, have to be negative about it, you know. Yeah, and and I know that, I know that th this is what I'm talking about when uh, we're saying that people who who have gone through recovery and gone through so much of the stuff make some of the best mentors and teachers and uh, sponsors, especially in the twelve step rooms for this work, is because what these kids that you're mentoring, and we'll talk about uh, uh, that coming up next you get it. You know what they're going through. You, you've had some of the experiences that in recovery we call terminal unique. You know, is that when, it, when, it, when, a, when a person's going through recovery or a person's considering recovery, part of the problem is, is that you, you feel like no one will understand what's going on in your head. You know, you, the insanity of it, the whys that you came up with, the rationalizations, the justifications to do what you did whether you're you were making conscious choices or you were being a victim of your own uh, uh, addictive behaviors at that point no one else can understand why why these things make sense because to a sober person the things we do you know someone listening to this is saying after all those people all those friends that died you're still out there drinking you can't even feel happiness and so now you're drinking and for an addict, an addict in recovery, where they're like, well, yeah, that's exactly why you do it. That's, that's exactly what it's about. But for other people, they're like, this is insanity. And you're like, yes, it is insanity. So you really do have a good perspective on what these kids that you're working with are going through. So now talk about these kids. Who are these kids that are, you're working with now? Yeah, so I work with a program in Woodland Park, my hometown, um, I get paid through 
marijuana tax revenue. It's called the MTR program. I work with a lot of kids. I have to say, uh, uh, Nate, it's, it's really nice to hear because, because all the promises that were made about that money and what, how it was going to help. I haven't seen it. And it's, I, I, I just have to say, knowing, knowing about the, the problems that that legalization has created that the people who use weed legally don't want to talk about. But those of us in the industry, we know, we know what's going on with the legalization of it. It's nice to hear that that money has gone to helping some kids. Absolutely. And it should, um, rightfully so. And most of these kids I work with, they are busted for smoking weed. That's 90% of what it is. It's smoking weed. Um, so I work with, uh, you know, I have like a 14 year old, 15 year old, anywhere from probably 12 to 17. So these kids get busted and, um, they go through the courts and they get sentenced to some counseling. They get sentenced to, uh, working at a karate studio here in Woodland park. And then they do a mentorship program with me too. And in that program, I like to focus on goal setting. I like to get them thinking about the future. Um, cause a lot of kids, that's just not where their head is at. Kids are very impulsive, just like I was. That's just the way their brains are wired. Their brains aren't fully developed. So I try to get them thinking about the future, thinking about their grades, thinking about if they want to go to college, start a business. I'm working with one kid now who's starting his own landscaping business, lawn mowing business. He was real successful over the summer, and we want to take it to the next level. I'm showing him how to navigate through social media, um, come up with a logo, slogan, work ethic, all that stuff. And it's been really rewarding seeing seeing his drive and seeing his dream slowly grow. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing this. Uh, I started just over the summer, so I'm fairly new to it and I'm still in a learning process and it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of learning though. <laughs> how did, how did you qualify for this? How did you become part of this program? Um, well, a lot of networking um, through the community. There's a coalition you could call it in our community called Saturn, which stands for Substance Abuse Threatening Underage Residents Now. Kind of a long acronym. But uh, they get together once a month and talk about, they have a program from the CTC, which is Communities That Care. They analyze holes in the community. So, you know, if we are considered an underserved community, we want to find where we can place services to help drug abuse prevention in youth. Um, so I networked through that group and got hooked up with an awesome friend named Heidi. Um, she said, well, do you have an LLC? I know you're passionate about fitness and working out and that's worked for you and getting clean. Um, do you want to work with some kids? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. That's, I mean, that's a dream come true. This is what I've been fighting for for a couple of years now is just to, to find this opportunity. And so she hooked me up and I, uh, I was able to hire someone recently. She's a yoga instructor. Um, really great with the kids. She works with the female clients. Um, and so things are growing. I'm, I'm just really excited for the opportunity and really ecstatic about what I'm doing. Are you looking to build like a brick and mortar, your own studio, your own gym where you have people come in and then after school hours, you're working with the youth? I, that's, that idea has popped into my head and I train out of a karate studio right now. Um, the guy I was talking with before, he works with the same youth that I do. And he's got some really interesting ideas on how we can build a uh, something cool like that for the youth and for the community. 
so that they can come in and have a nice healthy spot to do uh, weightlifting, karate. He's even started about, or even talked about starting a, a, a boxing gym. Um, so we're, we're kind of working on that and I'm trying to figure out, there's a lot of things that are running through my head and a lot of ideas that I get new ideas every day. So I got to pick and choose which ones I want. <laughs> some are distractions, some are directions. And you know, one of the biggest thing is that as you come out of your own shadows it back into the light to do this work is uh, the realization that addicts think that we judge ourselves um, and that other people will judge us based on our intentions. When mm -hmm. actually what the world is judging us is on our actions. And it's what we do, not what we think we're going to do or what we think about doing that, right. that makes us who we are. So I, I have a question that's come up um, for me many times, and I'm wondering how you navigate it. So you're working with a kid, and maybe they say something to you like, well, you know, I just heard your story, and I, and I look at all the drugs and stuff like that and all the partying you did, and you seem to turn out okay. So how come, how come I can't do that and turn out okay? How do you respond to something like that? You, know, you did it and you're all right. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one because that is a, uh, that's kind of a persistent thing that comes up is they almost don't believe that they can do it. You know, they look at you and say, well, that's you, you know, that's not, that's not me. I don't know if I'm capable of doing that. You know, the best you can do is just tell them, this is where it's hard, tricky working with youth is because they don't, they don't see the the bigger picture here all the time. They're just thinking in the here and now. And so that's why I like to focus on the future. Like, well, you know, five years down the road, where do you want to be? And I narrow that down to an action that they can take today. Like right. what could you do today to set yourself up better for the future? You know, right. you to be, to take some of the actions I took to be more successful and get yourself out of this hole that you're in. So I try to simplify it. And that way it's more manageable and they can wrap their heads around it a little more. You know, the day, the day I got sober, uh, March 21st, 1998, it was that same year in June that I uh, got my first Franklin Covey day timer. Mm -hmm. And I live my life. I live and die by the day timer. So much so that as of today, November 15th, uh, today is where I submit the day timer that I invented to Amazon. Wow. Uh, to be, okay. I've never, I have never gone uh, 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 through a day without using my day timer. I, I, and I keep all my passwords. I can tell you what I did February 6th, 2002, because yeah. it's all recorded that goal setting process. Okay. Um, it's a major, it's a major, major component of understanding. Like I said earlier, Teens see themselves at A and they want to be at Z, you know, Lil Bow Wow and that metal band and that rapper and that guy, they're all at Z, man. They got the money, they got the power, they got the women's, they got the cars, they got the, all the stuff that, that seem to fulfill the needs that every human being has, power, safety, freedom, worth, and connection. And then they're like, well, that's, that's, that's how you get it. You, you rap or you, you do heavy metal or you but they don't know that B through Y. They don't understand all the time in this studio that these people and how hard this stuff is. Yeah. And that's, uh, especially with the kid who's starting his business that I'm yeah. working with right now, I'm explaining that to him right now. Like there's going to be failures. There's going to be so many steps you have to take. It's, you know, he was real successful over the summer, um, in the community and 
it was real easy for him. And now he's going into the harder stuff and I'm explaining like, <laughs> you made good money for a 15 year old, but when you're 20 years old, that ain't going to cut it. And you're going to have to do B, C, D, E, you right. know? And um, it's just one step at a time with them, you know? How much of your success, how much of your life is dedicated to the physiology, your physiology? You know, this, this ex exercise and stuff. Yeah. Oh man. It's a, uh, it's a daily thing. And if I could work out seven times a week, I would, but uh, my body won't tolerate that anymore. Um, it's honestly probably the most therapeutic thing I've found for myself in my recovery. That and talking, I'd say, I think talking does a real justice for me too. Yeah. And when you, when you say talking, you, do you mean talking to a therapist? Do you have a coach? Do you have a therapist? Do you have a mentor? I, I have some business coaches that I work with. Um, I keep in contact with them on a regular basis. Talking really with anybody, if you're willing to be vulnerable, can be therapeutic. Um, even with a toxic person, I'd say, because you can still get information from a toxic person too. Um, so just you know, willing to open up and willing to, to talk about who you are, I, that's been one of the greatest assets uh, I could find. And I don't know if that relates to my psychosis. When I was in psychosis, I was very quiet. I was just stir crazy in my head and I didn't open up to anyone because I was living in fear constantly. Right. And so talking was kind of the antidote for that. And that's when I started to get better. But as so, far as finish, as far please. As goes, that's like, Oh man, I'm, I'm in love with it. I, uh, that's why I chose to be a personal trainer. And it's just, it's like, I get the same, the same, what do I want to say? The same rush is drugs, but it's good for me. And I know it's going to build me up instead of tear me down. Yeah. You know, there, so I, I run multiple businesses. Um, mm -hmm. I, my college was uh, acting school. It was not a, it was not a practical, you know, a, a degree. I don't have a degree in business. Um, doing this work with these kids is, is based on life experience and the success and failures and working alongside the state of Colorado. But you have named three things that I use on a daily basis so far to aid me in my recovery. Sober now 20 years. Think about getting high every single day. I still do. Yeah. That's not something that goes away, man. But you're you're right because when that mind when when every day I'm at the gym, just got back from it, you know, went to went to the employee gym employee appreciation, talking to you on the phone. It is part of this process is getting your body this growth through repair, growth through repair. As an addict, as a as a person in recovery, we've broken so many things, promises, values other people's hearts, our own, our own hearts. And this is how we repair you, 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 you start. So, so that exercise piece, the goal setting, like I said about the daytimer, it's what you're teaching the kids and this talking piece, you know, you kill the secret, you kill the addiction, man. Yes, exactly. Bringing things to light. That was huge for me. I had so much buried inside of me that it had to just, I had to hear myself say it, you know? Yeah. 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 So what else, what else would you tell a parent? If a parent says, Hey, I want to bring my kid to you. And what are you going to do with them? He's like, I'm going to get him in the gym, throwing some, some weight around. I'm like, we're going to work on goal setting. We're going to do this type of stuff. We're going to talk. Cause that's what comes up in mentorship for mm -hmm. me back in the day. It was throwing axes. 
with the kid. I would have a, I have a, I have a bunch of axes and we'd go outside and I would hand them an ax and they would look at me and I'd say, but try to stick it. And they would throw it and bounce off sideways and throw it and bounce off sideways. And finally they throw it and stick and we'd celebrate. I'd say that was a good success. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Replicate your success. So right. if you've got, if, and, and during that whole process of that physical act of setting goals around throwing an ax, the talking starts to emerge. Here's what's going on in my family. Here's what's going on at school. Here's what's going on in life. What else do you do with these kids? What else are you going to tell a parent? If a parent goes, Nate, this teenager, they're, they're struggling. They just got busted for weed. What are the five things I got to do? I got three good ones. What else are you telling this parent to do? You know, it's, it's different for every kid. Um, you know, teaching them the things we just talked about. And then a lot of times figuring out where they are emotionally. And I think that kind of ties in with, uh, with talking, but if I can instill some type of inspiration in there, that's, it's called the golden nugget. I learned that in personal training school. You know, when you get a personal training client, they want to lose weight. Well, why do you want to lose weight? Well, I just want to feel better. Okay. Why do you want to feel better? Well, you know, I worry about what people think about me. Who are you worrying about? Well, I just want my husband to look at me like he used to. Okay, boom, there's the golden nugget. I can tie that. Yeah, they're tied to that emotionally. And I can use that for motivation. Kids can be a little tougher, especially young men. They, uh, they're a little tough to crack that egg, you know. But if you, by doing those things, you know, getting them active, getting them uh, moving around a little bit, that experiential therapy that you're talking about, it's almost like tricking them into therapy, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, doing something that they enjoy, that's when they establish trust with you. And that's when they're willing to open up with you. So doing things like that. Um, and like I said, it varies from kid to kid. Every kid is different. Some kids like to uh, work out. Others throwing axes. That's a great one. Um, you know, mowing lawns was good this summer. Um, but I'd say just figuring out what type of inspiration I'm going to instill in them and figure out what is going to motivate them to do better. So I think one of the, one of the pieces that I've seen in my life is the, the amount of discipline I had around getting high and, mm -hmm. and saving money so that I could buy drugs yeah. and making sure I left enough time so I could swing by the dealer's house so that I could get my drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, or uh, uh, to, to grow my own plant so I didn't have to buy the other people's drugs. And suddenly, this person who couldn't keep a job, you know, was, had a ton of discipline. I just had discipline in the wrong area. Exactly. You, you seem to have, to have taken that, the discipline of addiction and turned it into the discipline of sobriety. Is Absolutely. there is there a trick to that in your mind or is it just a skill you've always had and now you're just using it in a different area? It's a skill every addict has. And that's actually, so I'm writing a second book right now. And a lot of what I'm talking about is using that craziness in your mind for positivity. And it's just like you were talking about every addict has dedication and commitment and they have all that. They have willpower. You know, the reason addicts keep using drugs and can't get clean isn't a problem of willpower. They have infinite willpower. <laughs> it's just a matter of flipping your perspective. That's it. Right. And I tried to suppress that for a lot of years. So 
here I am in addiction. I'm crazy. I will do anything for meth. I will rob people. I will stay up all hours of the night. Like you said, just that discipline. It's, it was crazy. And then I got clean and I figured, well, I can't act crazy. I can't be crazy. I have to be super, super straight edge. And I have to, uh, almost, I wanted to be boring almost because of what I went through was so chaotic. Well, that wasn't good either because that's not who I am. I have a fire inside of me and every addict does. That's why they're acting that way. They're just driving in the wrong direction. So if you can flip that perspective when you get in recovery, it's, I loved what you were saying earlier. There's a reason addicts haven't been uh, bred out of the gene pool. And that's because addicts do amazing things. They have a drive in them that a lot of times is just being oppressed. So if we can get an addict or a kid to see that that's not a, a problem. They just have to drive in a different direction. And that's, I mean, we could help so many people, you know? So now, now what's next? You and I, well, well, first let's, let's drop your first book, man. What, what is about, where can people find it? Talk about your book. Yeah. So my first book is called zero to hero. Um, it's just about my life. It's my life story. I go in depth with the psychosis as best I could. I really wanted to describe that so people could relate who are going through the same thing. Um, that should be dropped here in the next month, month and a half. And um, I will be posting links on my blog page on Facebook. It's called Addiction Recovery, uh, Fitness, Success, and Love. And um, yeah, I mean, I would love for everyone to check it out. I think it can be very helpful. Um, I got it. I'm already working on a second book. Writing is kind of my gig. I had a, uh, a creative writing teacher in high school tell me that I can make money off my writing. And that kind of, when I was going through a really rough time, that always stuck with me. That was him saying that really, when you talk about mentorship, if you can have the effect, that's all he said to me is, man, Nate, you could make money off this one day. And that's all it took to change my life. And so that's just kind of a side tangent there. But if we can have that effect in someone's life and just something that simple could stick with them through the years, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, second book coming out, um, on that book, I'm kind of coming up with a simplified version of or a new paradigm for getting clean. So it's, uh, you know, an alternative to the 12 steps, I guess you could say a little more simplified. Uh, and then I have ideas for more books too. I've just got to organize all the, all the <laughs> <laughs> no one's never gonna gonna accuse you of uh, having an idle mind, man. And that's right. because yeah. because the last time you and I talked, it was all about this this facility that you you have this vision for and everything. Right. So so what have you decided about that? What are what are what are you thinking at this point in your life? Well, um, you know, we talked with you and you were super helpful um, and super great mentor in that aspect. Um, inpatient. We're not sure that we want to do just yet. So we're thinking an intensive outpatient type of thing. Um, we're still going to start our own program. We're taking all the steps to get licensing and uh, we're working on getting an office this week and hopefully we can have something in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we're looking to fill a need that isn't there through intensive outpatient and do something a little different. But uh, an inpatient facility in the future, definitely something we're kind of keeping in mind. Yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, intensive outpatient is one of the last vest vestiges for our creativity to really do the work that we know works with these kids. But the moment you become residential, 
there, there's a stifling that takes place. And I've experienced that. Like throwing access, it's not something I can do in a residential treatment program that works with kids who are dealing with self-harm and, and you know anger issues and stuff like that. That's the type of stuff I was able to do back in the day, back in the day. And I still do it. I do show you the camera right outside my window. I'm staring at three throwing X targets that I still use and that I still, kids that I mentor, we come up and we throw, but that's uh -huh. not part of my programming. And that's frustrating about this, but there are rules to follow when you're working with other people's kids. And that's, that's the game. You want to play, you follow the rules. Right. Um, and of course, you know, you and I have many more conversations, not only about your next book, um, you know, uh, about alternatives to the 12 steps, because I got sober in the 12 steps rooms, but the 12 steps were not the reason I got sober. It was the people. It was the community. It was my clan. It was my tribe. It was, it was the way my sponsor, my mentor spoke to me and listened to me and connected with me that I said, you know what? I actually, I am loved, lovable and loving. And it wasn't because of the steps. I did the steps but they did not as imp impact me as hard as the people. So I'd love to talk to you about that. Not only that, but when you guys fill out this IOP, I want to talk to you about preferred provider contracts where you got a kid who fails your program. I want them. And when we're done with that kid and it's time for them to do an IOP, they come to you and that we keep that relationship, you know, as exclusive is as is appropriate for the individual and their needs and their family. But, um, I guess, I guess on the, uh, on the, on the flip side of this, and then I want to go back on some of your things on how people can connect with you and seek out mentorship with you. So I'm a parent of a high school kid, you know, my, I just got called into the, the office and the resource officer has, has busted my teenager and I walk into the office, they've called me from work and I'm already pissed. And now I find out that my kid had, you know, 12 baggies of, of weed and some random pills in his backpack and he got busted ditching and they're expelling him and, and I'm freaked out. And, and now there's a big old ticket and a big old fine and the school needs to decide whether they're going to let this kid back because he's not just smoking pot in my basement playing video games. Now he's, he's dealing. And he's underage and, 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 and so I'm a stressed out, freaked out, angry, terrified parent. Mm -hmm. What do I do? What's it, what, what would you tell a parent in this situation? What's their next move? What do, what do they do next? Well, we're going to work on uh, getting your kid going in the right direction. Cause like we talked about that kid has drive, you know, it's just a matter of placing the right opportunities in front of him and getting him to grab onto one of those. Um, when you feel like, you're at rock bottom you don't feel like there's a whole lot of options and sometimes it feels as a parent you mean as a parent as a parent yeah, yeah. there's because you can't control your kid so th exactly they're panicked and um they're just they don't know what to do so if i can get them if i can get their kid to show them that they're willing to make effort even if it's just one thing these past couple weeks that's actually what i've been focused on is getting the kid just to do one thing, one improvement. If I have a kid who has straight F's, if he can improve in one area, that's going to give that parent hope. And when the parents see hope, they can back off their kid a little bit. And the kid responds to that because the kid feels like they're being smothered too. And so it's a real, it's a real fine line between keeping that kid accountable, but not having his parents smother him. 
So, you know, keeping in constant contact with the parents and um, just getting that kid to show them that he's willing to try. At what point do you tell a parent that they need to find an intensive outpatient or an IOP? Um, You know, when they're about ready to drop out of the program, uh, there's kids who will fail, but you can tell they're trying and they'll, they'll open up to you. They'll talk to you, but they just end up slipping up sometimes when they leave. There's other kids who just, they'll let you know, they'll let you know. Um, and it's, it's by their UAs. A lot of times I can tell if they have constant failed UAs and they don't pass one, then it's like, well, you know, what we're doing isn't working. So you need to go get something a little more intense, which is, is okay. A lot of these kids who have been through a lot of trauma, you know, it takes a lot more to get through them. They need a lot more attention. Nate, how does a, how does a a family find you? How does a a parent find Nate and contact him? So to see if Nate's the the person to help their kid. Well, I uh, stay pretty active on social media. I got facebook.com slash fitness and addiction recovery. So there's that. And then, uh, you know, my email is natewilson0223 at gmail.com. My phone number is 719-640-0668. Anyone who wants to call or email me, I'm always willing to talk and meet up and figure figure out how we can help each other out. Give the phone number again. 719-640-0668. Um, You know, Nate, we've been in touch a little bit here and there. Um, After having this conversation with you, I'd like us to be in touch more. I think think there's, uh, you know, having been down the path that you're embarking on now for a decade, um, I have some... You know, I, I know your business partner is extremely knowledgeable in, in, in Jayco and state regs and stuff like that. And that's not my area of expertise. That's, that's mm-hmm. my wife's area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So certainly what your business partner has uh, some things that, that I don't, I, I wouldn't have for you anyway, but I think I have some other things I'd like to support you with. Um, and, I, and I'd like to get to know you better. I'd like us to, to hang out a, a, a little bit more and, uh, and see if we can uh, uh, figure out another kind of relationship. Cause I dig your gig, man. Uh, this is, this is good stuff. Um, and Hey, you know about the wolf sanctuary there in Bailey In Bailey as that's uh sound of the wolf healing center. You know, I think I've heard of that before. You yeah. got to You got to meet these people because both okay. of them, the, the man and the woman that run that facility, I got a podcast about that place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the man, the man, man, the woman who run that place. They've both okay. been working with adolescents in recovery a long time. I love it. We take our kids down there once a month. You gotta check out Sound of the Wolf Healing Center. Oh, it's I would awesome. love to. Yeah. yeah. I love wolves too, so that'd be an awesome experience. Yeah. And you're pretty close. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To check that out. Nate Wilson, everybody. Seven one nine six four zero zero six six eight. Uh, his Facebook page is uh, uh, facebook.com slash fitness and addiction recovery. Um, you know, you'll find Nate Wilson there. Uh, I'm looking at a picture. He's a pretty good looking guy. He's got a handsome, <laughs> handsome kid. How, how old's your kiddo, man? He's seven years old, man. He's the cutest little redhead I've ever seen. <laughs> He's a little redhead. redhead. He's kind of crazy. But <laughs> That's awesome, man. And uh, you're, you're going to be married. Yes, April. 
I'm going to be married. Yeah, my fiance has a son. He's 13 years old. A lot of fun. Get along real good with them. Um, life is really good on this side of things, man. It is good over here. It's better over here, man. It's not easier. This is not a, no. it was, easy, it was easy to get high and pretend things didn't matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. This place is, is hard work and it's why I avoided it for so many years, but man, yeah. I will tell you, Nate, being in this business, as long as I have, like, like, I don't know if you saw me, but at the beginning of the podcast, I leaned over and pounded on the window. Uh-huh. It was one of our graduates who's walking by, who's about to go to Rome yeah. and doing a podcast with him. And he's walking his dog that he got the day he graduated. Wow. And you just see it and you're like, okay, like that's why. And yeah. there's, there's a good why. So mm-hmm. I love this, man. Keep this going and let's be in touch more, more often than not. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Aaron. Thanks. Yeah, stay on the line with me just for a second. Everybody, uh, I want to say thank you to the boss goddess at Mental Health News Radio, Kristen Walker, uh, for all the support she gives me every single time, all the love. I write her an email. She hits me right back, unless, of course, she's doing her podcast. Check out all of our podcasts on Mental Health News Radio. Um, If you need more support and you're wondering if residential treatment is right for your child, you can always call us. The assessment is free. And that's at 303-443-3343, extension 204. That's Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. Our website is firemountainprograms.com. You can find me on Facebook, Aaron Huey. And uh, as as always, I also need to thank my editor, Dan Cropper, for the hard work he does on these programs. Um, And if you're new and you're watching me on Binge TV, thanks for joining me over here. We're new to Binge TV. We've just got all our episodes uploaded And we're really excited about being over here. So thank you to Binge TV as well. Parents, you know what I'm going to say now because I say it every time. Take care of yourself first. Take care of your adult relationship second. And take care of your kids third. Because in that way, we do our best work for our kids. Folks, I'm starting to run my free parent evenings. If there's some parenting skills for your teens at risk and you're interested in them and you want to catch them on a webinar or catch them on a Zoom call or even show up to them, please email me at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at firemountainprograms.com. I'll let you know when our dates are. Uh, Nate, again, thank you so much for uh, your time today and spending time with me. And uh, I look forward to getting to know you better, man. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Looking forward to talking with you more in the future, man. It's my pleasure. Okay, folks, we'll see you next week on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com.